Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Dr. Brian Leva is an Afro-Latinx physician activist who studies the intersections of medicine, racism, and social inequality. He has a background in community organizing, social justice art, and public health research. Dr. Leva sees all his work as part of a larger effort to decolonize and diversify medicine and achieve equity in healthcare. His research, rooted in social justice frameworks and community engagement, has been published in journals like NEJM, JAMA Internal Medicine, Journal of Healthcare for Poor and Underserved, Social Science and Medicine, and Implementation Science. He has been featured in several news outlets, including NBC Nightly News. He is bold, honest, and not afraid to stay present in his truth, and we are so happy he agreed to come on the show. This good doctor believes that sustained activism is rooted in something deeper than outrage, and we are eager to find out what that is. Welcome, Dr. Brian Leva. Okay, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit to who you are and my fascination with you. So you're a physician, an artist, an activist organizer. Can you talk about how all parts of this self, of yourself, inform each other? Because they're different, right? They don't all naturally integrate. How do they form all of who you are? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I think I, I'm a physician, but it's important to know why I went into medicine. I went into medicine because I didn't find people that looked like me when I was seeking healthcare. My parents didn't find that. And I wanted to be the physician that I never had. And so I approached medicine from that social justice angle. And I always saw medicine as a vehicle for social justice, because I think health is fundamental to, for us to survive, right? You can't do anything if you are not healthy. I view health as empowerment and I view it as a tool for social justice. I think along, as I started getting in this field, very early on, I realized that medicine has been one of the worst perpetrators of inequality in this country, right? They've done some of the most hideous crimes against Black people. They, right, when we talk about the misrepresentation or the lack of representation in medicine, that was due to the Flexner report. Five out of seven black, you know, medical schools were shut down as a result of that. And now we're seeing the effects of that, right? We have less than 5% of physicians are black, right? Less than 6% of physicians are Latino. And this was all, we did that, right? right? And so the more that I'm in this field, the more I realize, yes, it can, medicine is a tool for social justice, but it's also a tool for harm. Yes. And historically, it has been used and misused to perpetuate violence against our communities. And so how do you undo that? Right? How do you undo that? How do you address that? How do you reconcile with that history? And then how do you move forward in a way that actually improves the health of our communities? And so that is how that journey has been. It's just that the more I'm in this field is, wow, we really do some messed up shit. Yeah. Right. And the way that we treat race, not only during medical education, but in medical practice with race corrections, for example, the way, you know, even when we think about pulse oximetry, which we use to measure oxygen levels, 
Um, yeah. Right. And we know that these pulse oximetry, they don't work as good on darker skin. They make it seem like you have more oxygen than you do. And then there was a recent report that showed that people who had COVID who had a need for oxygen were not getting it because they were, their oxygen levels are being misread. And so, and, and that's because they, they failed to, to think about our people, right? They failed to take our people into account during the design of it, during the implementation of it, during the beta testing of these machines. And so now we have machines that are widely used by the entire country that are harmful or not treating everyone equally. And so we find constant like examples of this in, in medicine. And so I think there's a need for folks like me who are willing to disrupt that. Yes. And, you know, so that, that is part of it. You know, I, I, I was an artist, I was an art maker, I was a painter and my work focused on the intersections of culture and race and art. And so I did murals and I, a lot of my inspirations were the murals in East LA. And it really, the, the reason why that's important is because I think creativity is so important for movements. And I've seen the power of, of our creativity in changing the way people think about problems and raising consciousness, right? And so to the extent that I can bring that into my work, that creativity, I think it would only help me to get my message across which is, you know, the liberation of black folk. And so that, that is kind of how that fits in. And yeah, I think, I mean, it just all comes together. We need all the tools we can get. And yeah, I yeah. believe that it's not just in medicine. We have to look into other fields, art. We have to look into social work. We have, you know, yes. all these fields have to come together. Look, the way you explained it, it just started to all blend together. You know, it, it, it's very clear how the parts of yourself inform the other. And just hearing your passion behind it, it's very clear, believe me, there's no more to be said. Look, and as an organizer, I'll say I, I worked, <laughs> after I graduated, I, I worked for four years in Boston with Haitian, Black, and Latino communities. And I actually worked within churches to establish health ministries. And so I, I did community health education and community organizing, trying to get folks within parishes and churches to think about how they can transform the congregations to ones that promote health. Love that. So I did that for a while. That's so important. You know, we, we are, there's all the reasons why we don't trust systems of, you know, mental and medical health. And that's what I'm hoping to be a part of changing, have been a part of hopefully changing for so many years, but you are definitely the future in making that happen. And I, again, I'm so grateful for it. Look, you take a strong position on issues impacting people from the global majority. But you also include people who live in poverty and the working class, just to name a few, or I'll name two off the back, which is uh, Roe versus Wade and voter suppression. The reality of how white supremacy treats brown and black bodies in different situations is very clear and inclusive in that group of oppressed people. Talk about why this is, is so clear to you and how you've messaged this in your social media and in, in direct contact with people. I think that this attack on women's reproductive rights and not just women, but, you know, trans men, gen, you know, non-binary, it isn't new. It's been going on for a long time and black reproductive justice activists and scholars have been writing about this. Right. I think that it's taken on a new fervor 
they're doing it with a lot more tenacity in a way that is damaging, in a way that is dangerous. And so for me, we have to tackle that directly. There's no, we're going to try to do this. We're going to try to soften the message. We need to be very clear about what they're doing, what the GOP conservative right is doing to strip people's rights away. Right. And it, it, again, it, it, it's, you know, they, they did it. They've been doing it with voting for a while. Right. Taking, you know, between taking away mail-in voting, uh, trying to cut away, at, you know, requiring, you know, ID for vote, taking away. I don't know if you remember a year ago where they were taking away mailboxes. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, literally like the most, the, the things that you were like, wow, preventing people from selling water and giving right. snacks to voters. I mean, like they have done it in the most egregious ways, but also in the most petty ways. But because yeah. they understand they are going to do it in every way possible. And so... When I think about the disenfranchisement of Black people in this country, and I think about the, the various ways from mass incarceration, right? We have, for example, in Florida, like one in five folks have a prior felony conviction and can't vote, right? That's right. crazy. I know. And so when they, these tools of making things felonies to then disenfranchise folks, that has been done before. They've done it to black people. And now we're going to, they're starting to make a criminal, make it a felony for women to seek reproductive health Amazing. care. And so what do you think that's going to do to their voting rights? Right. And so it, I think that when they, they're constantly, you know, the thing about, you know, so yeah, for, so for me, it's all this little game that they're using and they're using the same tools, but they're applying it on different groups. Absolutely. And so we have to be cognizant of that. And history is our biggest teacher. And so, you know, for me, every time I see a new stunt, it's like I go back in history and I say, when has this been done before? Right. And how has it been used? And that informs how I approach that issue. And I try very clearly to make the connections because, because I'm, a, I, I'm a scholar of history. Like, I love history. And so... And, that, and, and, and so I try to make those connections clear for folks that maybe history is not something that they necessarily enjoy. Right. But this is, it's actually, it's really egregious what's happening with, you know, reproductive rights in this country. I know this podcast isn't about that, but I think that these are not just, it's not just reproductive rights. We're talking about rights to patient autonomy. We're talking about rights to patient privacy, all of that right to religion, right? Because mm -hmm. if you tell me that I can have abortion, but according to Jewish law, that is within the rights of a, of a person, then you're infringing on my religious rights, right? And so I think that there's a, this massive attack right now on anyone who isn't white Protestant male. And I think until we see it that way, we're not going to come together to create the kind of unity and the kind of movements that we need to really enact change. Absolutely. And this podcast is exactly about this. <laughs> okay. The other thing is that, you know, white male Protestant and the females who birthed them and also align in silence to uphold patriarchy and its whiteness. I think we keep, we keep missing that piece, you know, and looking at white males, but not looking at the women who are right alongside of them, who have not just created, but nurtured the, the support. And benefited, right? Oh, white male adjacency is the thing. 
right? <laughs> I mean, if it benefits, the, you know, your white husband, it's going to benefit you as a white female. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. is why, you know, which is why when we look at voting for Trump, right? And both, right? Like, mm-hmm. white women were the reasons why he got elected. And we got to be able to call it what it is. I mean, it's not, it's just what it is, right? And it, and it, and we see that happen a lot mm-hmm. with white women and the way that they navigate politics. And, and the truth is that they benefit from that, right? Because yeah. the whole family unit benefits, their sons benefit, mm-hmm. right? I know it's powerful. It's powerful. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. So you, you tweeted America is not okay after sharing horrible news about the deadliest human smuggling incident in recent years. Can you explain that? With a lot of immigration policy, you're seeing a lot of folks who come to the United States, oftentimes out of desperation. Many times these folks have been stuck in Mexico, in countries in Central America for a long time, trying to seek asylum to the United States. And because of our laws and our policies, they haven't been able to seek that asylum. And so they oftentimes are forced to pay coyotes to get them to the United States so they can achieve a better life and be able to feed their families and be able to, you know, achieve any some sort of a dignity. And unfortunately, there are folks who abuse that. Right. And that and that's what you saw recently in San Antonio with the big truck that was found. Right. Of just it was over 40 people dead right so sad um and these were just folks that were just trying to come to the united states to achieve a better dream and to achieve a better life for them and their families i think that america is not okay because of that but i think just where we are as a country our democracy is in jeopardy we don't trust any of our systems of power and that's a dangerous position to be we don't trust the supreme court we don't, um, many folks don't trust the president left and right, right? And the executive branch. And many of us are disillusioned by our elected officials in Congress. And so when you have a democracy where your three branches of government, there's lack of trust, um, you have a dangerous situation. And so I don't think America is okay. And we, and we also are feeling it too. People in their day to day are feeling it, right? Like, Folks are barely struggling to make ends meet, really struggling, you know, struggling to make, bring food, put food on the table and are losing their jobs, right? Are losing their investments or losing their 401ks, have a bunch of loans, right? From school. I mean, I, I think it's just like a lot of folks are not okay. And that's why you're seeing what we're, you know, where we are right now. I think it's because a lot of folks are not okay. And I think we just got to be honest about that. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I also think that, you know, people who are okay have to realize they will not be okay because, you know, just because your positioning life has afforded you some opportunities, the more that the majority stops being okay, the more it's going to impact you. So that, that's, that's the disillusionment, you know, long as I'm okay, but that's not forever, you know, because it, it happens, it changes. You know, that middle, platform, that middle income but, is, you know, the, the middle class is, is shrinking in this country. Exactly. That's like, an example of it. It hadn't, it had, it had been the same for a while and now you're seeing it shrink because the rich folks are getting richer and richer and richer. Exactly. And that's also not good for a system. Right. Uh, right. And so I do think a lot more people, even folks that thought they were safe, for example, a lot of white women thought they were safe. And now with what we made, they're like, oh, I'm not safe. They're coming after me too. Right. Like, I mm-hmm. think, I think a lot more people are waking up to the idea that 
this democracy is not serving us right. how it should and and that we need to really work hard to fix it. And we have to implicate ourselves not only in the problem, but we have to implicate ourselves in the solution. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And get rid of the silence. It serves no one. You know, as I started to say, your platforms are so important because you don't back down on anything. You know, you talk about what's not working in America. Sometimes you say the quiet parts out loud and people, including myself, clearly can't get enough of it. My two most recent favorite quote, favorite posts that you made were, <laughs> don't miss racism when it's done by old people. Have we forgotten that racism is systemic? I love that. I love that. And the other one is you clarified that adopting a child from the global majority does not exclude you from being racist nor benefiting from white supremacy. Talk about this a little bit, because those were two really important things that people don't often talk about. I think it's just funny because both of them were in response to comments or situations that happened. So one of the first, that first, that first comment that I made was actually in response to black woman surgeon who was told by her patient, she's a surgeon in training, was told by her patient that black women can't be surgeons and to go get the doctor in charge. Hmm. And to be a surgeon, it's 15 years, like it takes a long time. And for black women, it's even harder because it's not just time. You're talking about institutional and systemic barriers that prevent black women from being anything in this world right you know when it comes to medicine like two percent of, of doctors are black women right and so you can imagine how hard it is to hear that from a patient and then expect at least expect some sort of support from the people around you right and so you know she then relayed that information to the hospitalist who's her partner in treating this patient and he said well this patient is old you know, he doesn't know any better. And how is that helpful? Right. And so it just made me think about how often we dismiss racism when it's done by old folk. And, you know, what's problematic about that is because those are the very people we need to bring it to. Exactly. Right. Like when even especially when we when I'm talking to white people, like. I want you to talk to your grandma and your father and your grandfather and your aunt, you know, and, and, it's, and those are the people that we need you to talk to. Right. And so why do we dismiss racism when old people do it? And, and even that in and of itself is dangerous because the, the underlying belief why that often happens is that, you know, they're, they're never going to change. Right. They're stuck in their ways. Right. And if you study gerontology, that is like one of the main attitudes that are you know, uh, ages, right? The idea that older folk can learn new things when they absolutely can, and they cannot learn things as well. And so that whole thread was about, about just encouraging folk to, to, to not ignore the racism that happens by older folk in their family and in society, because those are the very people who are running our country. Right. Right. And so it serves no one. And it's funny because somebody else commented like, Absolutely. Another white woman was like, absolutely. I agree. You know, I went over to my family's house and my mom was saying a bunch of nonsense and I packed my bags and left. And I'm just like, I wanted to be like, I haven't even responded yet, but I will. And I want to be like, you know, that does help no one. You're yeah. just literally pushing that responsibility onto the rest of us. What I want you to do is literally talk to your mom, talk to your relatives, have those hard conversations. And if they cut you off, come back. Right. Like take, take, take a break, but come back and continue to do the work. 
because all you're doing is punting that work onto us. So it's interesting how even in shoes agreeing, but the way shoes going about it is not helpful. Right. And so I, you know, I really think that we have to pay attention to how old people move because how old people move determines how the laws and our, in how our systems move. That was the first piece. The second piece, again, I think we were talking about, it was a, it was a post I had done on police violence Hmm. and basically a cop in Chicago need a child into the concrete Horrific. and right. Because he thought that this kid stole a bike. Right. Right. This, this brown kid with Afro hair who was the only Afro person there. He accused this kid of stealing a bike, which is very common, right? This is yeah. racial profiling 101. Mm-hmm. Like we're accused of stealing shit. We didn't steal of doing things. We didn't steal of doing things. We didn't do. Right. Right. And then it wasn't just that it was, it wasn't just the accusation, but also the way that he went about it. It was an off-duty cop without uniform who pinned this kid to the ground to the point that he couldn't breathe. And the comment was like, well, yeah, this was horrible, but you know, we shouldn't assume that this guy was, was racist because he might have adopted an Asian, a Chinese kid. Oh so it just God. it brought up this idea that just because you have a Chinese kid or any kid, right, doesn't make you not racist, right? If I am, you know, of mixed identity, if I'm black, if I'm, you know, poor, if I, you know, if I grew up in this, if and I have, you know, I, I think we all have um, mm-hmm. racist attitudes because right? we're part of we we were born into the system that is racist. Mm-hmm. We're fed racism in the media and everything we consume. And so if, if, if some of us can admit that we've, we've done things that maybe we shouldn't have, or we've moved in a way that maybe we shouldn't have, and you're excusing this man because he has the Asian kid, like to me, it was just like, we need to just, we need to just be very clear that having, you know, a non-white son or daughter does not make you anti-racist. Having a non-white, you know, husband or wife does not make you anti-racist. And even being non-white does not make me anti-racist, right? So wait, there's a couple of things there. One is that only people of color can say non-white, just for the record, just so people understand. White people don't go around saying non-white. That's not for you. Just like BIPOC, that's not for you. Only we can say that. And the second thing is, you know, I think the general message that white people own racism and it's not something you can opt out of is a very important piece for people to wrap themselves around because then they wouldn't be so nervous if somebody called them a racist. Okay, you may not be actively racist, but you still own racism. And what are you going to do about it? Like that's the mentality. You have to make it stop, you know, stop being such a hot word and start to embrace the fact that it's the culture you benefit from. You can't opt out of it and say that person's racist. I'm not. You're a part of it, you know, and definitely adoption does not remove you from the responsibility and ownership. So I think that was fire. The other one is, let's see, voting rights, gun control, Miranda rights, reproductive rights, the Supreme Court is unhinged. Also, this is the best. Guns are not your God-given right. You sound stupid. <laughs> no, and I, <laughs> sometimes I'm, <laughs> I crack myself. Oh, but, but honestly, I love that. They, they <laughs> just have to call it what it is. Like, you sound silly. Do you not hear yourself? Like, I don't, you know, and, and the weaponization of religion and faith is, is a whole other topic. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as someone who is God-fearing, right, it, 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 
boggles my mind how how yeah. it doesn't even I it's just it it's so dangerous when religion and faith are weaponized like that. I agree. I agree. So I, I just part, had to call it out. Well, that was great. But and and the part that you you know that second part is even more important, which is you know God didn't write the Second Amendment. You know, people who enslaved others did. Slave owners did. That's the part that just brings right. it all home for me. The second, you know, that, that, that you sound stupid made me laugh, but that other part really brought it home. For me. Right. Uh, right. Look, clearly we could go on. There's so much more that we could talk about together. Please say you'll return again. Absolutely. Whenever you want, okay. you know, I'm yours in action. So. Right on, right on. You know, I, I want to, I want people to learn. I want people to feel comfortable learning and I'm trying to create a space where, where it's possible. But until then, will you offer advice to young people who want to be you? You know, you said you spoke today and I just think that's so important. So would you share a little bit of that, please? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I think we all have something unique to offer and we all have to find that voice. And that the power in your voice comes in the power in your experiences. Yeah. Right. So I'm able to reach, I think a lot of times because I, I, I have a very intersectional identity and I think I, I try to reach folks in that way. I, I rely on, on my experience growing up poor, right? A lot. Cause I think that that helps, that gives credi- credibility and honesty to my words. I'm not talking from theory. I'm talking from my lived experience. And so if you are trying to change whatever system you're trying to change or whatever organization you're trying to change or Whatever thing you're trying to do, think about what can you do and how, you know, that's uniquely you. Like, how can you contribute in a way that is authentic to you and operate from that space? Because that space is your power, right? That, and even white people, right? Reach out to other white folk, right? Mm -hmm. We know that they're going to be more receptive to you than us. Mm -hmm. That's just facts, right? You know that, you know, so if, if you have a passion for, justice and equity and anti-racism and anti-blackness and you know then then find ways that you can do it within in your own community harnessing what's unique about you and consistently right one post a month doesn't do it you know find a way a vehicle that works for you and do it consistently and then kids who want to be doctors right it's possible we need you yes oh my god please Please, and, and look, seek mentorship. You can't be what you can't see. You can't be what you can't see. And, and sometimes, even when you see it, you don't know how to get there. And so just reach out, even if it's like a, a cold call, a, you know, cold, like someone you don't know, and you're like, hey, I want to be like you. I want to I wanna get a piece of advice. I want to hear about your journey. People love talking about themselves. Right. (laughs) If you, if you, you know, if this is something, if this is something you want to do, find folk who look like you and who care about what you care about and just reach out to them. And, and I promise someone will answer. It might not be everyone, right? But someone will answer. That might be the aid you need to get you to that next step. And then once you're at that next step, who do I got to reach out to then to get me to the next step? And then when you're there, okay, now I need, you know, so it's a, I think that that requires that radical vulnerability. Mm. Right. To be able to say, I don't know the answer and I don't, I don't know how to do it and I know how to get there, but I'm going to look for it. And I'm willing to learn like that kind of that learner mindset. Yeah. Is what's going to get you to, to, to this, to this road. But 
if there's any, you know, black and brown folk, little kids out there, you know, we absolutely need you. Patients deserve to see doctors and providers that look like them and that understand them truly and linguistically and that are going to advocate for them because a lot of healthcare is advocacy, right? When a patient comes up to me and they want to see a dermatologist, me giving the dermatology referral is how I advocate for this patient. And you'll find that a lot of folk, they don't get the referrals that they need because their doctors aren't willing to give it to them. Um, and so, so we need, we need us in medicine and we need us in here. And so absolutely, if to anyone who's interested in medicine, and if you're interested in social justice, please come on board. Absolutely. Look, I want everyone to have your social media handles so they can follow you and stalk you like I do and, and appreciate everything that you do because it's very important. So would you share them, please? Yeah, so it's Dr. Brian Leva, is B-R-Y-A-N-L-E-Y-V-A. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Clubhouse, on pretty much all social media platforms. Yeah, just come on board, engage. I can't guarantee you're going to like everything that I have to say, but I'm going to give you the space to say what you need to say. So you can't expect that from me, but I can guarantee that, that there's truth in what I'm saying. And I take that very seriously. I take my platform very seriously. And so welcome, come on board. Come join us. You know, look, thanks for making me feel like I can put down the gavel and sit back and enjoy what other people are, are doing. The younger generation is doing and putting out there and just copy and paste and cut and, and share because, you know, you're on fire and, and everything you're saying is so truthful. I just want to thank you again so much for coming and sharing space with me. And, uh, and I want to give you the final word on what America needs to do to change the narrative, because that's what this show is about. To change the narrative. Oh, man, that's such a good question. I think we need to be honest, radically honest about where we are, about our history and about what we, what kind of America we want to be. And I think if we're honest about that, I think we'll get, I think we'll get to where we need to get to. But I think the very first step is being honest. If you think something is bullshit, call it bullshit, right? If you think we just need that, that level of, of, of honesty with ourselves, with each other, because that's how we begin to hold each other accountable. So, you know, accountability is the word. Accountability, right? And, you know, I can't hold, if, if I'm lying about, you know, the, for example, if I have an elected official who represents me and I'm not being honest about how this person is doing, what am I going to hold them accountable to? Right. Right. The first step is, oh, I think that you should be doing this, this, and that. I think you're not meeting my needs and the needs of my, my family, right? And just being honest about that allows that person to then think about how can I work to meet those needs? And, it, and you can become their accountability partner, but you, you have to first be honest. You have yes. to do it. So that's my, that's my piece of advice, I guess. Perfect. Thank you so much, Doc. I really appreciate your time, really. Very much an honor to have you on today, and I look forward to having you back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Take care. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 